Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Welcome, everyone. Smash the like button. Don't forget to retweet this out. I am Brian, the UK Bitcoin master. This is your bullish Bitcoin show, the alternative to the BBC that spins us a narrative. Um, you will only find bullish conversation on this show. You will also see up here, not your keys, not your coins. That is the mantra for this show. And I encourage you all, if you've got anything on an exchange, I would encourage you to remove it. So not your keys, not your coins. Today is the 12th of January, 2023. And you know what? I don't know where the time is going. It is absolutely flying by. I got into Bitcoin in May 2017. And here we are um, in 2022. It's just crazy. But you know what they say, uh, time flies when you're having fun. So if you're finding this channel for the first time, please read the disclaimer. I'll get this back to front all the time. There's a disclaimer down here that says you're not going to get financial advice here. You're not going to get TA. You're not going to get any charts. It is just me twice a week going live, talking about Bitcoin for those crazy people that seem to feel that they get value from things I say that want to come and follow me. So thank you for being here. Again, check out ukbitcoinmaster.com. That is where you're going to find all the videos that I've done to date. There's close to 500 live streams, all by the first handful of months I uploaded when I was uh, new to all of this. But most of them are live streams and you can check out, check them out and you can learn loads by going back through my archives. So I encourage you to do that. If you go to bitcoininterviews.com, if you want to streamline it down, you'll find all the interviews that I've done to date with what I believe to be some of the greatest minds in Bitcoin today and back then, eight, you know, three, four, five years ago. And of course, people come and people go. But there's some great videos over there, some interviews. Check them out. And my interview with Nick will also go up on Bitcoin interviews. You can find Robert Breedlove over there, Preston Pish, Larry Lepard, Greg Foss, Jeff Booth to name just four or five that roll off the tongue. So do check them out, people, because they're very much interviews for a noob that can get their head around why these people get into Bitcoin in the first place. And the the things that they looked for, maybe when they went down their rabbit hole, why they're still involved now, how they see to see the future playing out. So do go and check those out. Okay, I'm going to whiz over to the desktop very, very quickly and see what we've got going on over there. And firstly, as you will see, a little bit of a pump going on. Um, don't get misled by any of that, people. Zoom out. Look at an epoch. Look at a four or five year cycle even to see where Bitcoin is going. And don't get caught out by this because if you watch this chart day to day, you will see that this thing goes up it flies back down again. It is all over the place, but it is still in a tight range right now. The reason I'm showing you this is because currently, if you've got a spare dollar lying around, you can get over 5,320 sats for that dollar. So don't let anybody tell you you can't buy Bitcoin because you can buy fractions of a Bitcoin. Uh, okay, get that out of the way quickly. If you want to support the show, and again, I don't run the show for any type of financial gain. 
It is simply going live twice a week because I enjoy this. I love Bitcoin. I love being in the rabbit hole. And if I can impart anything that makes somebody go down that rabbit hole and do their own research and ultimately get some Bitcoin, then my job is done. So if you want to drop a few sats, there's some sats addresses. Of course, if you want to keep your sats and drop some dirty theatre, you can buy me a cup of coffee uh, tongue in cheek there. OK, and finally, you will find all of my social media links, everything that I used to put in the show notes now on my link tree address that is in the show notes right now, people. So let me just get rid of that. OK, so. I am really excited about introducing uh, my guest. Uh, some of you are aware of this. We're a close-knit community here that I get a guest. And then if that guest feels that the show's okay and they enjoyed it and it's worthy and it's pure Bitcoin signal, then maybe that guest would then maybe make an introduction uh, to another guest. And uh, I got Nick very kindly because I interviewed Robert Breedlove and Robert Breedlove connected us together. So I thank Robert immensely for that. And I obviously thank Nick for coming on the show. So what I want to do before I bring Nick on to the show, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a synopsis on who this guy is. OK, firstly, um, he wrote an incredible book called uh, Layered Money. OK, and Nick is a financial researcher uh, and a and a junk uh, professor of finance and uh, and business economics at the University of Southern California uh, Marshall School of Business, where he teaches applied finance in fixed income securities and Bitcoin and digital assets. And Nick is also the author of the num a number one bestseller, Layered Money from Gold and Dollars to Bitcoin and Central Bank Digital Currencies. Previously, Nick worked uh, the U.S. Treasury's trading desk for a large institutional asset manager and has extensive trading experience in money markets and interest rate futures. He has a B.A. in social sciences from the University of SoCal or Southern California, a master in finance from the IE Business School in Madrid, Spain, and is both a CFA and CMT charter holder. So without further ado, um, I have to say Nick Bartia, uh, author of Layered Money. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate it. I hope that introduction was OK. I took that off one of the websites I found, but I, I do like to give the guest an intro so that, you know, the people that are in the chat take this a bit seriously and listen to what these people have to say, um, if that makes sense, Nick. So um, thank you for being here. We're going to spend about 55 minutes together, 50 minutes together. Uh, and what I want to do for my audience, Nick, is um, the, the idea of my interviews is so that people, I, I feel that as Bitcoin grows over time, the Googling for Bitcoin, the search engines for Bitcoin, they're going to find certain channels. And I think if a noob, and I'm thinking of myself now, if a noob found shows, channels, you know, interviews, whatever, that were heavy, that were deep, that were, you know, deep in macro and deep in the, the weeds of, you know, how Bitcoin functions, etc., I think they're just going to leave and they're going to go off and find something else. So 
for me, I believe my 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 show has got a part to play. And if a noob finds it, they can hear the heart on the sleeve stuff. And then they will then go and do their own research if it feels right to dig in more and un learn and understand more about Bitcoin. And it was really interesting uh, before we start talking. There was somebody in my chat a couple of weeks ago, and I can't think the guest. It might have been Breedlove. I can't remember. And the guest said something in the chat. And I pushed back and said, look, I can't get into the weeds. And, you know, he turned around and said, Brian, I come to your show for your energy, your positivity, your bullishness on Bitcoin. If, if I want the deep stuff, he said, oh, I go off and find those other channels. And I guess I, that's where I'm coming from, Nick. So I always like to start my um, interviews off. I call them a conversation, really, with a little bit about you, I guess, you know, before you found Bitcoin, what was life like? Yeah, I've read some stuff out there, and I'm going to be honest with you. As a as a truck, an ex truck driver, a lot of that was straight over the top of my head. So maybe a, a quick synopsis on your background prior to finding Bitcoin, and maybe when you found it. I can't remember what year you found it, but you've been in as long as me, if not longer, haven't you, Nick? Yes, uh, 2016 is when I found Bitcoin. And prior to 2016, I was a global macro and interest rate specialist. So that is what I've always been interested in, global markets and especially the international relations between some of the big currencies around the world and uh, the asset classes broadly. So to be a little bit more specific, I was never interested in the idea of stock picking. Yeah. So people growing up that are interested in finance, especially people that were around me that were interested and wanted to trade, they were really interested in which companies they thought would outperform other companies. And I found that incredibly boring. Yeah. And what I found interesting was where are foreign exchange rates going? and why and okay. that was the foundation of my pursuit of financial education and economic education so i was in school for for many years i took uh, exams for my cfa and cmt as all as i was training and learning and understanding and then i entered the investment industry formally in fixed income which is another way to say the bond market Yep. And yep. I, I was in the bond market. I was on different sides of the bond market, um, back office to risk analysis, to a trading desk, to a strategy desk. So I've seen it from different corners and all of those jobs were on what we call the buy side. So in the markets, we have two sides of the market. There's the buy side and the sell side. The buy side represents client money, those that are investing on behalf of uh, client money. And then you have the sell side, which are the investment banks that make markets. So I've always been a buy side industry participant. Okay. Yep. The men, that's men, the mentality that I bring. Wow. And, um, how many years did you do that? I mean, was that out of school? And then, I mean, 
I know that, you know, particularly in the UK, you know, somebody that wants to become a doctor, it's four to seven years at medical school. And then if you want to go on to brain surgery, maybe another 10 to 14 years. What is it like in the, the financial industry then? Is, is that something similar or do you just get your foot in the... I mean, look, I'm coming from a perspective of watching The Pursuit of Happiness where, you know, the young Will Smith does everything he can to get himself into whatever it was i can't remember the name but you understand but for, for for financial people do they get a basic certificate get a job and then work their way up nick or how does that work it really varies so there are many fields within finance and yep. most of them don't require any technical certificates or degrees okay what it really requires is i would say a mathematical inkling and formal education in some of the basics of finance and economics. Um, those would be, I think, the prerequisites to enter the financial field. Now, my professional designations, the CFA and the CMT, are both multiple year programs. The CFA took me three to four years. The CMT took me two to three years to complete. Right. I didn't do them together. I did, it, I did them consecutively. That's in addition to a one-year master's in finance program. So I would, and uh, and then I studied interest rates themselves at the tail end of my undergraduate career as well. So I, I would say that in terms of formal education, seven to eight years is how long I studied rates. And then, uh, and that overlaps with about six, seven years of professional experience in the industry on the buy side before I decided to set up my own shop and start writing the content that I was producing as an interest rate strategist for the buy side. So I've continued my career on with my own work, research and analysis, but the content of my analysis, which is focused on interest rates and monetary policy, central banking, that is all continuing. And I would say, I applaud you. But crikey, you know, this is for me, you know, I, I hear you, um, but it's so far removed from anything I've ever done in my life. Um, I guess the, the question then has to come. So how did Bitcoin come into your experience i mean you know, they say people have certain touch points so many touch points i mean i always tell this story and forgive me people that are listening but you know for me it was a telephone call we were living down in the canary islands we'd retired down there in the sun i wasn't looking to do anything else and i get a phone call from back from an old colleague in the uk asking me what i know about cryptocurrency and i said what is that and then you know have you never heard of bitcoin i said no what is that and long story short you know, within two hours, I was off on YouTube. And I think by the end of that day, as hard as it was on local Bitcoins, I'd got a couple of coins. So for me, it was one touch point. I'm curious. Let's get in the rabbit hole. I'm all over this. But I hear people say, you know what? I heard about it. I let it go. You know, it's another couple of years and it, you know, it came across my radar again. What was it like for you? So from my, my experience with Bitcoin, I had seen it i was a frequent reader of a website and i still am called zerohedge.com yep uh, many people um are aware that yep. it has it's now more of a platform for 
its own content and other people's content. But in the beginning, it was, you know, just a couple, one guy or two people uh, putting out a lot of macro research. And there were Bitcoin mining ads on Zero Hedge for many, for years. And I, so I just saw them and ignored them. And as you because I didn't, yeah, as you do. And so that, that was my experience. I saw the word a lot. Would be publishing articles from time to time about Bitcoin and I would skip them hmm. because it wasn't in my framework. It wasn't, hadn't entered my framework. I didn't understand it yet. That, so that, that went on for, I would say about. It had to be a catalyst. Yes. Yes. There, there, and there was, and that catalyst came when I was on a trading desk and I started to see the word blockchain in reports from investment banks. Yep. And at that point I decided that I was going to maybe skim some of those reports, but that I would go out and do my own research now and try to understand what, what that word was what it meant. I quickly understood that Bitcoin was something that I had to spend some time on. And that's yep. when I bought my first couple books about Bitcoin and understood what it was. And you, you talk about touch points. When I understood what Bitcoin was, especially the fact that Satoshi Nakamoto, Bitcoin's creator, intended for Bitcoin to in some or in many ways, mimic gold. Okay. That was very interesting to me because I had studied monetary history and I had studied gold and I was fascinated with gold and I had a long gold position because I believed that the current fiscal monetary situation around the world was not sustainable. And I wanted an outlet for that view. And it was gold at the time. Okay. So when I understood Bitcoin, it was immediately clear that this is the future's gold. And I could never unsee that. And oh, that's see, how my journey started. Yeah. That was in 2016. Wow. So did you did you um did you jump in and get Bitcoin? Did you research it more, learn about it more, get in that rabbit hole. I mean, what, what happened for you? Yes, definitely researched it more. And I tried to not try to, I started practicing uh, key generation, key storage, and I, and, and wallet maintenance and all of the basics of custody. Yep. Because when I was learning about it, I understood that the point of this was to hold it, not to just keep it on an exchange. Mount Gox wasn't that uh, removed from history at that point. Two years it was covered. Yeah, it was covered extensively in Nathaniel Popper's 2014 or 15 book, Digital Gold, which I read in 2016. And so one of my first experiences with reading about Bitcoin was reading about Mt. Gox and that many people lost their money because they kept their coins on an exchange. So I said, there's a very easy solution to this. Figure out how to store it yourself. 
And so that process was ongoing once I felt that I had some confidence in my own storage. And I started with an iPhone wallet, people. You know, I started with just an iPhone wallet, not a hard wallet, not, um, you know, any other fancy cold storage Nick, mechanism. Nick, I started with a paper wallet. And, <laughs> and then the and, next nightmare Brian, was how do you get it off a paper wallet when Trezor came around? And Brian, I experimented with paper wallets as well, but that was after my my iPhone wallet because I said I need something that's a little bit more offline and that was more cold storage. So I went iPhone first because it was easier, still my own keys. Then I went from iPhone to paper and then, then you learn more about it and you develop your own techniques and methods. Uh, I would encourage everyone to at the very minimum try out your own wallet and experiment with it, delete it from your phone. First, and write down the words. That then, scary. <laughs> isn't that it scary? Is, but send send five quid to yourself. Yes. Yes. Worth of Bitcoin. Write down the write down your words. Delete the wallet from your phone. Take your spouse's phone. Install the wallet. Take the words that you've written down. Recover the wallet and see the five quid in your spouse's wallet, for example, and you can see the magic of Bitcoin private keys and you can feel it and experience it. These would these were all things that I did in the early months of Bitcoin ed, uh, discovery for myself, because I knew that if I was going to buy Bitcoin, I had to store it myself. Yeah. So yeah. and I'm not a computer science person, as I described my background is in finance. So it there was a learning curve. It took time, patience, paper and pen. And um, but it's it's foundational. And so I would recommend anybody get started there. So 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 was I nuts going straight to your paper wallet? I mean, to be honest with you, generating the paper wallet, I can't remember now. We had to move our mouse around and it, it generated the, the wallet for us. And that was, I, I found that easy. What was hard was it stuck on this bit of paper. I'm pretty new to all of this. How the heck do I sweep it? And you know, back in 2017, late 2017, yeah, it was late 2017, I think I got my first Trezor. It was like there was nothing out there that gave you a clear and concise step-by-step -step process to sweeping it. So, you know, I ended out doing that myself. Now, I got a fair bit of Bitcoin, Nick, and it was absolutely frightening, frightening. But like you say, you know, anyone these days can spend a fiver, five dollars, whatever, and put it on the wallet and then wipe the wallet, get your seed words and then do what you just described. And it appears as long as you understand that, you know, it's going to go on the blockchain and there can be different time limits to when you get the confirmations. You know, as long as you've double checked the address, there's, you know, been no no hacker in the middle that's changed something and you're pretty certain of all that. And, and I remember a guy that, you know, is a, a pops in this show, but, you know, he's when I, when I first got into Bitcoin, he was the go to guy on Twitter 
um, to help you sweep wallets. If you'd lost coins, there was a way you could get them back. He's down in California as well. His name's Rocky Palumbo, and he was the go-to guy. Um, everybody used to go to him if they'd lost coins, sent them to the wrong address. And because I connected with him and, you know, he helped me greatly. But, you know, at the time, there was just nothing out there to give you any help and guidance. I think today there is enough. There's so much education, isn't there? There are so many good quality podcasts, uh, BTC sessions. Ben, for a start, he's been on my show. I mean, what he put produces is so special in terms of any tutorial tutorial you want he's got a great pod he's going places it's fantastic to see but there's so much out there now that we didn't have back in 2016 and 2017 so you know my question to you i guess in a conversation is if that's six years from when i got in and seven since you got in what are we looking like when we go and double that amount of time it's just mind-blowing scary exciting how the world's going to look going forward and I think about this, something that I taught my students this week. Think about how impressive it is that within eight years of existence, Bitcoin made its way onto a, a futures contract on the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Yep. Eight, a, an eight-year-old commodity got its own futures contract on the CME. Because the rules, the, the rule set, the protocol is that impressive. And it attracted market value that quickly. So you're right. The, the rate of change in Bitcoin never fails to amaze. That's why every single year of Bitcoin feels like four years <laughs> uh, of reality. And Bitcoiners understand this. Right. If you've been in Bitcoin for six years, it feels like you've been in Bitcoin for 24 years of your life. It just that's how much happens. And uh, there there is something to be said about that. There is something special about that. And I gave your audience my background. It is why I took a risk, but had confidence that I was making the right decision in changing my career path from yeah. uh, fixed income focus to Bitcoin and macro instead of just macro. So any regrets? None at all. I feel <laughs> uh, very blessed and thankful that I did make this transition. I'm building the Bitcoin layer, which is a research provider. We cover Bitcoin through a global macro lens. We provide written and, and audio and video content and I'm doing what I love, which is researching and writing about Bitcoin and global macro. And I'm helping people through, I get to help people through explaining things, yep. right? It's a retail focused product, right? We have, we have a lot of free content and our paid product is only $10 a month. So we're not targeting institutions. We're targeting people that have yeah. portfolios and that in some way, spend money to understand what's going on. So if you pay for the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times, you're our target customer. Yep. And my goal is to try to explain things that I understand about rates, how it affects global macro, my understanding of Bitcoin and how it fits in with global macro, and 
none of none of that would have happened without the transition and nor would have my ability to write layered money because that happened at home uh, not let, as i was sitting on a trading desk let, let, let's talk about layered money because i was going to ask you i mean for me by the way i will just say people you may be experiencing a lag it's telling me there's an error on youtube and the stream is really poor uh, Nick, I did explain after uh, off, offline, my upload speed is atrocious here. So we're live people. If it falls over, my apologies. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, Nick, I want to come back to that book because for me personally, the book was a big deal because before I heard about Bitcoin, and I said this to you off air, if somebody said to me, what is money? I'd say, well, it's a 20 pound note. You know, I did not have a clue about fiat currency and the layers of money. Ah, the stream's excellent again. Fingers crossed. Um, the layers of money. And that was a big, big help to me. So, you know, all these different books that are out there, people producing their books, you know, if you think about it, there are no two people the same. So somebody's going to get something from one particular book and somebody's going to get something completely different from a different book. So... What made you write the book, Nick? Was it was it your financial background, seeing Bitcoin, maybe people not understanding it and feeling we need to explain to more people about the layers of money? Or was it something completely different? Yes, I since I started writing about Bitcoin, my first article was published in 2018. It was called The Time Value of Bitcoin. And it's about Lightning Network and the Lightning Network's ability to make Bitcoin a more globally centric transactional currency, yep. leading to a better position in the global financial system and potentially even becoming a world reserve currency. That thesis in 2018 was specific to the Lightning Network, but once that article got out there and I felt energy around Bitcoin writing. It was always my dream to write a Bitcoin book. Yep. And I read Saifedean's famous book, The Bitcoin Standard, and benefited from that and learned from it. And when I finished Safe's book, I thought to myself, I have a way of telling the Bitcoin story differently, differently than what Saifedean did. Yep. Differently than what Saifedean did. Mine is going to come from a capital markets perspective. Yep. His comes from an economics perspective. Okay. He's an economics professor. I didn't study economics. You know, my degree, I studied economics in, in college, but my degree is not in economics. My, my graduate degree, my experience is in capital markets. And so I, I said, there is something to tell from a capital market history perspective on why Bitcoin. And that idea percolated for a couple years, but never materialized. Then when I read a paper called The Inherent Hierarchy of Money by a professor named Perry Merling, I understood the concept of the hierarchy of money, yep. hence, la hence layered money. And the paper was a theoretical construct. And I thought to myself, I can tell 
I can go out and tell the history of monetary hierarchy and then introduce Bitcoin within that framework. And that story had never been told. I was certain of that. And it gave me a runway of a year to set out to tell this story that I believed had never been told. And I do believe that readers confirmed that once they read it, they, they benefited from this and they said, this is a great way to think about Bitcoin, a great framework. They recommended the book to others. So, uh, I, the way that I came up with the story was building, building, and then triggered by the aha moment with the inherent hierarchy of money. I cited it in chapter two of the book and, uh, give credit to professor Merling for the construct of monetary hierarchy. Well, whatever you wrote, Nick, it's a number one bestseller. So, you know, people, if you have not read Layered Money, look, if I can read it as a regular guy that left school at 15 with not a single qualification and drove trucks for most of his working life, if I can read that and take something from that in here that has really helped me to understand why Bitcoin is so important for the world, so can you. So people, I encourage you, if you haven't read it, to read it. I've already had people uh, talking in the chat about Reddit. What a great book and looking forward to to whatever the next is. Uh, you guys in the chat, you know I'm looking at you all. But when I do an interview, there's so much going on. I can't say hi to you all. I can see you all in there. Dodgy Bob, Johnny Midas coming in from the desert. My lovely wife's in the house. John Gravitz with us. Uh, you're all in there. UK Bitcoin Farmer. It's great to see you all in the chat, people. And i got a funny feeling Nick might be looking at that chat as well. I'm not too sure. But either way, smash that like button, people, if you are enjoying this and do share this out. So we've gone through layered money, Nick. Um, obviously, um, from my own perspective, whenever I've been on watching a podcast, YouTube channel, whatever people call it, that confuses the hell out of me. You know, to me, a podcast is something that is audio and, a you know, a YouTube is not a podcast, but of course they call them podcasts. So anyway, um, when I've been on these podcasts and, and you've been on there, I've always been fascinated uh, from the angle that you come from and have always really enjoyed what you've had to say. So I guess we then now move on to Layered Money's Done bestseller. All of a sudden now we're moving into what I've just discovered recently, and that is the Bitcoin layer. Now, I did prepare a slide to put up, but for some reason it disappeared. out. Of my, I was going to put it up, so I can't put it up. But the Bitcoin layer, people, um, in the show notes is a link to Nick's Twitter and the Bitcoin layer Twitter. I think that's right. And there's a link to the Bitcoin So you can go and check it out yourself. But don't do it now. Stay in the live show and enjoy what we're talking about. But having said that, what was the idea, Nick, behind uh, the Bitcoin layer then? Obviously, we've talked about the idea behind, uh, you know, the layered money and you've got yourself a bestseller. Um, now, with the Bitcoin layer, is it are we notching up? I know it talks about macro. Maybe explain to the audience where that came from and what made you decide to do that. Yes. A after I published Layered Money, uh, several months later, it was very clear to me that I needed to commit to writing all the time. 
And that was not something that I had done before or after Layered Money even. I had written some articles, then I wrote a book that took me almost a year. Then I published the book, then I stopped writing for several months. I wrote maybe one or two articles here and there, but I wanted to write more and I knew I wanted to write a second book, but I didn't know what it would have been about. Okay. So I said, I'm going to start a publication so that I can write often and yep. reach readers that want to read what I have to write. Yep. And that's how the Bitcoin layer started. I just okay. wanted to reach readers sooner than book number two. Gotcha. That was the goal. And the content would shape itself, but it was there to describe the narration uh, or just to narrate the transition of Bitcoin to a global reserve currency. And that transition, I believe, is going to take many, many years. So I knew that I had time to describe it. And I was doing that for several months on my own about once a week. Mm. But then, uh, you know, some several months had gone by and it was time to take it to the next level and shape my focus on either book number two or building out this product. And I, I'm a teacher. I teach uh, students in business school here in Los Angeles. And I wanted to just teach and scale that teaching. So started a YouTube channel. It's syndicated as an audio podcast on all the platforms. We have more social media going and I made three hires too. So we have a team of four, two of us are doing research and analysis. Two of us are doing the media side of things. And it's a great combination of four people. And we're putting out a ton of content a lot of free content, some paid content as well. And it, it, it is our best effort to describe Bitcoin and global macro as a package deal because yeah. they are a package. In my opinion, they it are. is a, there are, so, they are different sides of, I wouldn't even say they're two sides of the same coin because the analogy that we use Brian at the Bitcoin layer is a watch. So, if you've seen the inside of a watch, you can see gears moving with each other, right? Yep. And now how many moving pieces are in uh, an Omega, for example? About 200. Yes. 200 pieces individually moving and interacting with each other. That is the global macro economy. 200 individual moving pieces. We will do our best. And it's the analogy we set up at the Bitcoin layer and I give to my students too. Mm. And we will do our best to give you foundation in what we think are the 10, 15, 20 most important components yep. where we believe that we can provide expertise. We cannot physically, there's no way to provide you all 200 components. No, no one can be an expert in anything and everything. Our core competency, though, does reach over 10 of those components, including interest rates, global macroeconomic study, monetary policy, reaction functions, Bitcoin, cross-asset correlations, geopolitics and the relationships between countries and how that affects global finance, the layered money construct, yeah. which is that 
money falls into a hierarchy. Repo, Euro dollars, onshore and offshore dollars. These are all individual components that I've, I'm describing here of that interact watch. with each other. Yeah. And it is very difficult to learn each one, let alone learn how they interact with the others. It's taken I mean, me many yeah. years and I would say that I'm at a dozen or two components, not 50 to a hundred. That this is like a be. lifetime of learning, isn't it? I mean, That's I, I always say yeah. from my own level, it's like you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and there's warrens going off in every direction that can take five or 10 years out of your life to learn all, you know, if you want to, you know, and I always say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that for those of us that want to go down these rabbit holes and learn, it is all there, but a bit like the internet, banking, whatever, you know, initially there are the geeks that want to know how it's all working, how it all fits together. And then the masses will just use it and not understand anything under the hood. And am I right in saying anyone can make the choice to do either or, providing they just understand enough to know why they need to have more than a zero position in Bitcoin. You know, the narrative's changed now, hasn't it? From, you know, you're reckless to have a position in Bitcoin to you're reckless if you don't have a position in Bitcoin. So, you know, th there are going to be, there's always, I always say there's always going to be the 80-20. There's going to be the 20% of people that want to get in those rabbit holes and they want to learn and they want to know and they want to understand. But I think it's also important to point out that nobody needs to, correct? Honestly, if anybody wants to learn about this stuff, there's so many books out there and so many YouTube channels and resources mm. that it can be daunting, but anybody that has the interest will be able to come away forming their own opinions. Yeah. Some people might read several Bitcoin books and come away unconvinced yeah. and that's okay. But the opportunity to learn is out there now mm. and i think anybody looking just search the internet for great global macro books or good books on bitcoin and investing or good books on investing geopolitics any of these things read a few books and you'll come to your own conclusions so Education is really self-driven, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, something that I've always believed in. Anytime I want to get into something, I buy a couple books on it and uh, I get started. So uh, that's where I recommend people would start. Definitely go start with layered money, but read other books and try to understand uh, more of a range of what's going on. And for full disclosure, Brian, I'm not watching the YouTube channel. I'm watching the markets over here. I've got my charts open. That's cool. So I just that's have one. Cool. One eye on one eye on the candlesticks. Yeah, no, no, I get that completely. Yeah, eighteen eight at the moment. So I, I have to say, um, my channel really drives home. Stop focusing on the day to day price. But as uh, an OG Bitcoiner, I I love to refer to. I am OG. Nearly six years in. That that qualifies anyone. I've been through two bear markets. 
Um, you know, it's a nice feeling when you do see a few green candles. It, you know, it's a human failing, isn't it, to be <clears throat> down in the dumps when our investments are going down and on a high when our investments are going up. And I think, you know, it's only natural to feel good when we see, you know, a Bitcoin price, at, you know, not far under 19,000. But I say to people, it's so important that you zoom out and you look at this thing since it started to where we are now and where that could play out in another 14 years. And certainly at the very, very least, you know, zoom in to the epochs, the four year cycles and understand them. If if you, and I hope you're going to back me up here, Nick, if you're holding Bitcoin, you need to understand how that cycle works, how they've worked in the past is there's no 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 certainty that that's how they'll work in the future. But history definitely seems to rhyme somehow, doesn't it? Yes, people need to understand cycle analysis of Bitcoin. The supply schedule, the pro programmatic supply schedule is at the core of understanding what Bitcoin is. Yep. And if you're not patient enough to hold through a couple of these cycles or these epochs, these having periods, uh, 210,000 blocks times one, two, three, and beyond. Yep. If you're not, if you're not willing to, or haven't been aware of that type of thing, you're not going to hold it for long enough NG to realize I think it's <laughs> you're not going to you're not going to hold long enough uh, yeah. to realize the full potential yep. and I'll you know we have to also consider that many people around the world don't have the privilege to hold explicitly but they need to use Bitcoin to survive and thrive. Yeah. And so many people actually have to be doing spend and replace as they go to make sure that they have Bitcoin on the other side of their economic activity. Yeah. So, but you're, you're correct in that you have to understand cycles. You do have to be able to zoom out and it can be detrimental to watch the price go up and down because it does affect emotion. And you want to talk about another one of those watch components, Brian, it's behavior and emotion. We know the old saying that be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. That's another way of saying that the market is going to cause you a ton of emotion and the emotion will lead you wrong in investment decisions. My technical analysis and chart analysis is actually a behavioral one that has a numeric expression. Yeah. And we can visualize that on a chart, but what I'm looking at is behavior, buyer yeah. and seller behavior. And I do analyze price behavior across asset classes because it's my background and yeah. it is my uh, core part of my framework that if I'm able to interpret the behavior correctly, I can help people yeah. understand the, the asset classes and uh, formulate their investment strategy. It's really interesting you say that, Nick, because I also watch the charts and I listen to certain analysts just to try and get a handle 
on what is what Bitcoin's doing and why it's doing it. And interestingly enough, I guess maybe it's because, you know, I've been in this nearly six years. Maybe it's because I, I don't know how many hours a week or a year or six years I've spent down the rabbit hole on podcasts, learning, trying to understand as much as I can. But I guess the reason I go on these these podcasts that talk about the charts is because I want to understand why something might happen. It is not to, you know, freak me out to sell my Bitcoin. It is to know that, you know, I've watched a few analysts recently that said there's a high probability and I don't know because I don't understand charts, TA, etc. But, you know, a few have said, you know, we could see a little pump maybe up to 18, 19, you know, but then it will roll over. It may roll over again. So I don't know whether it's going to, and I would not make any type of decision based on what they say, but it helps me to, if there is a rollover and we start to pull back, it makes me think, well, these people that know way more than I did, they said it might, and therefore it's good. And it helps me to, let's just say, stay sane, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm a I don't know what the term permeable means, but you're not going to find another bigger Bitcoin bull than me. I can tell you, I am very much I'm mooning with a ship or I'm going to the bottom of the ocean with a ship and there's no middle ground. That's not the point. I run a podcast where I'm trying to help noobs and intermediaries build a strong hand. But you only build a strong hand if you understand what's going on with Bitcoin, why it goes up, how it's correlated with, you know, the stock markets right now. And at some point, there's a chance we will see it decouple. But again, none of us have got a crystal ball, have we? Yes, we don't know when it's going to decouple. Uh, For now, it is coupled. And, you, you know, you say that it's you know important to know why bitcoin goes up it's very important to know why bitcoin goes down yeah. as well yeah. it's very yes. important Fair point. and <laughs> and if you understand why it goes down it'll be easier to have a stronger hand and uh, the reason why it goes down has to do with cycle and behavior yeah it really does and behavior and uh you know emotions and people getting involved to honestly just get rich quick. They're get rich quick uh, chasers that enter the industry every cycle and then they leave and then the cycle starts over. And then the next time it goes up, get rich quick, maybe new ones will come in again. And that's a sign that, the price has gone up too much and it'll have to come down. And uh, all of that requires behavioral study. And a lot of it can be seen with price study of the, you know, the Bitcoin chart. It's um, it's just totally fascinating to me. It really is. And, you know, you, you are absolutely right in terms of the behavior you know, the weak hands will see a price dip. And the way I, I explain it is a handful of them will sell because they're freaking out thinking they're losing money, which starts a cascading effect. And more and more and more people do that. And, you know, if you understand when something is hit its top and, you know, it's oversold, if you understand when something is overbought and understand everything that goes on between those two, you know, you're going to do a lot better than somebody just coming in. Look, I came in for number go up. I won't lie. But it was very, very quickly, 
I realized there was way, way, way more to this. There was an opportunity for me as an individual to put something in place that will secure generational wealth for my family, my descendants, for generations to come. If I do this right, and then I get the part right of the handover, if that makes sense, because the handover of that wealth could be something that happens. God forbid we're killed in some kind of plane crash or something. You know, what do you do? That's my battle. That's my battle right now about how I play that and what I do with that. And I know there are platforms out there that, you know, will help you with that, etc. Um, I guess after being 60 odd years on this planet and going through most of my working life, paying bills, get waiting for the next paycheck, etc. You know, you end out saying, well, I've got X amount of Bitcoin. I don't want to give it away to somebody to help me plan. But then if you don't do that, you could end up having the worst thing imaginable happen and your generational wealth dies with you. Like there's another rabbit hole. Absolutely. It's uh, something that I'm uh, also dealing with uh, as well on the home front. Mm. You have it's a challenge for the industry. Self custody is great, but it requires a lot of planning when it comes to the issues that you're talking about. So, uh, and it does actually also reflect not immaturity. I think immaturity is the wrong word. It is youth, youth. This asset class is young. And so services are just being invented right now that are going to affect situations that, you know, you and I are discussing right now in terms of multi-generational, uh, you know, considerations. Yeah. Make, make things easier as well. It's all got to be played out. I mean, you know, talking from my own level, you know, I was around when the internet took off. I remember the squealing green or blue dots of trying to load up a web page in the mid 1990s, you know, to where we are today and who'd have seen how this has all played out. So I think, if you're buying an asset like Bitcoin, it is learning things like what happened to Amazon in the dot com bust and, you know, how they, their, their stock dropped to six, I think six dollars or something. And everyone said it's dead. Get out. If you can learn these things, build that strong hand and understand that what happens, these drawdowns have been quite normal since Bitcoin came in, into existence. I think you'll do really, really well. Uh, Nick, I'm really watching that clock, so I want to pull this thing together if I may. What I do want to just spend one or two minutes on, if I may, is your thoughts. Now, I watched your, I think it was a 15-minute video that, I, I, was it pinned somewhere? I watched it today where you were explaining Bitcoin and talking about how Bitcoin has to be half a million at least. I think it was wrapped around the gold narrative, I believe. What are your thoughts? No price predictions. There's nothing on this show like that. But what do you see happening? You know, we haven't even discussed lightning. But what do you see happening with Bitcoin maybe a decade out? You know, we can talk of hyper Bitcoinization. You can talk of nation states adopting. You can talk of the growth and how many wallets, anything you want. How do you see Bitcoin playing out, say, over, oh, I don't know, maybe by the end of 2030? I've heard loads of price predictions, you know, some of them really conservative, some of them way out there. What are your thoughts around this? Sure. So uh, I think that we're headed to a billion Bitcoin users over that type of time horizon. Mm -hmm. And right now with somewhere between 100 and 200 million Bitcoin users, 
that means a five to 10 X size of the network. Yep. That also will come with a lot more ownership and stakeholders, both at the sovereign corporate level and individual level, the family level that will come with increased market value. And mm -hmm. so Bitcoin as a network effect is something that will continue on its path, its yeah. current path. And that should support a much higher value in the future. Now, in terms of dollar value, I think that Bitcoin should be a multi-trillion dollar network. Yes. Uh, right now, it's about half a trillion dollars. Um, the bond market globally is about $130 trillion in size. Equity markets are also above $100 trillion in size. There are several hundred trillion of dollars in existence in different forms uh, around the world. Just based off of the number that we have about 300 trillion in total debt. Debt is money issued by financial institutions. Now I know a lot of that debt is also marked as an asset on, uh, on other balance sheets. Yep. It's debt to somebody and an asset to, yep. to others. Yep. However, the supply of money is one of the main takeaways here. Mm. So we think about Bitcoin at a half a trillion market value, but potentially upwards to 20% of the world being Bitcoin users of some sort over the next decade it would lead to a much higher market value. Now, the number I've given is 10 trillion, which is what gold is at approximately right now, above ground gold held in bars and coins, et cetera. Yep. That would equate to a $500,000 price of Bitcoin. I think that that's a fair framework to build your expectations around. That if I hold this thing for a decade plus, that is a potential outcome here mm. because of Bitcoin's path. And I think, you know, we, we do a probabilistic outcome. And if you can assign even a 50% probability to Bitcoin becoming a half million dollar coin per coin, um, the present value of that speculation is still 250,000, which is still over 10x of where we are today. So those are some of the numbers that I use to come up with why the long position is still appropriate. Mm. Because I had similar a similar assessment when I got into Bitcoin. And I don't believe any of it's changed. And actually the, the growth of the network and the formalization of the network has all confirmed this for me. And I think that is a perfect place to pull the thing together. Um, Nick, if you can just stay with me, I always finish my shows with a quote. So I'm going to just um, shoot over to my desktop for one second. Um, there we are. There's Nick. Go and follow him on Twitter, people. Um, I would encourage you to do that. Um, also, oh, it was there, Nick. My apologies. Um, it is there. Sorry, you're muted, Nick, but um, it is there. Um, what I wanted to get to, if this is right, I love this one. Develop the mindset that fuels your commitment and self-confidence to the point where the lack of support from others doesn't even bother you. 
Isn't that befitting of where we are at with Bitcoin? You've got to develop the knowledge because the people around you will want to dump garbage in. And garbage in means garbage out. So you want to be getting the right signal from the right people. Nick Bartia, follow him, people. Go and follow the Bitcoin layer. Um, Nick, all of your details are already down in the show notes. I'm looking at the time, so I'm going to end it there. Uh, people, my apologies that I didn't get to look and read some of your chat messages out. But when I got a guest, I am like the proverbial swan. I look very graceful on the water. But underneath, I am peddling like the clappers to make sure nothing goes wrong. So, Nick, if you can just stick with me for 10 or 12 seconds while I do my outro. People, that is it. I'll be back um, on, where are we, Monday, uh, 6 p.m. London with a regular show. So come and join me for that. Can I ask you to please retweet this, share the link out. If you're listening on the podcast only, um, come and check out the YouTube channels if you, if you like seeing the people that are talking. But if you're on the podcast, please share us where you listen. Nick Bartia, thank you so much for joining me. I'll catch you on the other side of this. And everybody, catch you all on Monday. Here's my social media links.